0: Hey guys, it's Breyers. Just want to tell you what's going on down at uh, Meltdown Comics in Hollywood. We got Melthology. Melthology is a monthly comics jam at Meltdown every third Tuesday of the month. Here's how it works: Show up at the melt at 7 p.m. and draw a page of whatever you want. At 9:30 p.m., we'll collect all of the art and three dollars for printing costs. When you come to the next month's comics jam, you'll get a zine with everyone's contributions inside. There is no set theme, and all skill levels are welcome. Last but not least, Meltthology contributors get 10% off their meltdown purchase on the night of the event. Go to at on Twitter or Facebook if you have any specific questions. Ask for Chuck. And that is at Melt
1: Hello, and welcome back to the next episode of Pod Sequentialism. I am your host, Matt Kennedy, and we have a very special show today. We are actually recording on location with Lindsay Way <laughs> in the Way Mansion in an undisclosed location. <sighs> and um, so, if, um, if it sounds a little different than it usually does, it's because we're, we're in an amazing place that I could not be happier to be in. And um, the acoustics are a little bit different than the studio. But uh, So if you notice a little bit of echo, please forgive us. The, um, the content of the show is going to be so strong that you're going to forget all about it in moments. So I want to welcome you, Lindsay. Hi. Hey. So for the uninitiated, um, Lindsay Way is a fine artist who um, I'll be showing work next month in, um, in February 2016 at La Luz de Jesus Gallery. And um, a completely new body of work. And some of you may know her from her band, Mind the Self-Indulgence. And it's interesting because Lindsay is known in the art world for a diorama type work and it's amazing stuff and um, go out, Google it, search for it immediately. And the work that she's going to be presenting with us is of a a more personal nature. And before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about how you knew this was going to be something that you do, you know, that you're, you're, you're a multiply creative person. You've got many different disciplines and how did you settle on what you were going to do? When did you know? And, um, and how has that affected everything else?
2: Um, well, when I was a kid, um, I loved art. I loved drawing and painting and making messes. And I, it was something that I did constantly. And you know, when you're a kid and you do something, you get encouragement. So you do it more and you, uh, develop and, I just never had any doubt that I wanted to be an artist. um I got a lot of attention for it mm-hmm. um, which made me want to pursue it more and you know, I was a sad kid, and I didn't have other ways to express myself mm-hmm. and uh I wasn't particularly popular, but I was a good artist, so I just kept doing it
1: and Where did you grow up?
2: Um, I grew up in Ledger, Connecticut, where Foxwoods Casino is. Nice. My mom has season tickets, Nice. I
1: think, for um, multiple performance. Uh, or she did until she moved to Arizona, but it was something that uh, she used to love going to Foxwoods Casino. No casinos in Massachusetts.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was crazy when they built that. Um, I think I could be wrong. I haven't fact-checked this, but mm-hmm. Ledger apparently has the most cemeteries per square foot that would have been my favorite city in the world. Yeah, we like in class we used to do grave rubbings. Is wow. that strange? Uh, we did that too. But I, well, I you're Salem. In, yeah, I live
1: <laughs> in Salem, Massachusetts, so there's uh, a lot of that going on too.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so being in, in New England, and it's funny because Connecticut's a pretty amazing state. A lot of people that don't know may think that uh, because the Connecticut's next to the Hamptons in New York on one side, um, but there's also places like. You know, outside of
2: Bridgeport,
1: Bridgeport, Connecticut, yes. which is like one of the most violent cities
2: it's, in the it's, U.S. It's crazy because you have the richest people and the poorest people in a tiny state.
1: My second tattoo.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: My second tattoo was uh, Bridgeport, Connecticut first and I was in uh, Seabrook, New Hampshire, I think it was. But um, so you've got a, a lot of there's a real divide line like a a social socioeconomic divide line yeah and and it's cold a lot Mm -hmm. and you've got a lot of cemeteries it's kind of breeding ground for for goth culture for
2: weirdos yeah Yeah. and you know what i wasn't actually cool enough to be considered goth i was Mm -hmm. like I, i was still finding myself at that point yeah um and in fact nobody that i knew was was goth at that point right um I wasn't... It wasn't like it is today where there was no access to counterculture. Right. I thought I was really edgy because I wore Doc Martens. Same here, yeah. You know? And since I was a poor kid and it was the era of grunge, Mm -hmm. um, I could go to a thrift store and, uh, you know, express myself that way, thank God. Yeah. But other than that, yeah, there was no... Like, well, that's not true exactly. My friend, Amanda had a girlfriend who had a mohawk, and she was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> she had, like, 18 whole docks, and I was like, wow.
1: All the way up to the knee. Yeah.
2: I wish that was that cool. Yeah. <laughs> it was not.
1: It's funny, because I think that um, yeah, it is very easy for people today to kind of take that for granted, that um, certainly when I was a kid, there was there were no goths, and that sounds kind of funny to say yeah. about, you know, coming from, from Salem and from Lynn, but um, that... When I saw the breakfast club, I didn't know who that goth girl was like it, yeah. it was really there were like two types of people, yeah, you know in um in my high school that was kind of like you were either well, I guess there was the Jocks and there were the stoners, and then there were just people that were in between, yeah, and that was kind of it and my friends were all pretty much all stoners and um we were all heavy metal kids mm. and we would wean off into punk a little bit sometimes, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't like a, a, a really specific scene. It was pretty general.
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, there was definitely like, the popular kids, but mm-hmm. even um, going to shows and things like that, there was definitely a high, I never, like those were the cool kids too in a, in a whole other world. So, I would bounce back between both and not feel like I fit in anywhere. I I wasn't cool enough to be weird and I wasn't like normal enough to be cool. So Mm -hmm. you kind of make your own way. So you, you kind of navigate the, um,
0: the
1: rivers of, I guess, youth and you end up going to, you pick an art school when you go to college.
2: Yeah. I, I, I went to Pratt. I got the the fuck out of my town. Mm -hmm. Um, and out of laziness or, uh, or you know, good fortune, mm-hmm. Pratt accepted me early. So that was good. Yeah. They, they were the only art school I applied to. And one
1: of the best illustrator schools in the country.
2: Yeah. And I went to a portfolio day and they accepted me on the spot. So. Nice. And truthfully, I was obsessed with the Beastie Boys who are from Brooklyn. So mm-hmm. I um, packed my shit <laughs> <laughs> and, and got the hell out of Ledger and I never went back.
1: Nice. Yeah. Now, uh, Pratt has a, a great reputation, <clears throat> like I say, as, as an illustration school, it's, it's one of the best. Mm-hmm. And I got to imagine, uh, who were your professors there?
2: Um, I don't, I was a terrible student, I'll be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, college is a really difficult time when you grow up in kind of a chaotic family mm-hmm. Um, one where you're sort of the parent and then you leave and you have all this baggage that you're dragging with you and you can't really and you're on your own and you're you're able to go by you know a 40 at the bodega down the street mm-hmm. and you're meeting all these new people and you feel it for the first time in your life that oh my god there's there's a whole world out there and there's a chance that I could fit in somewhere mm-hmm. and then they're like okay you have to uh Study 20 pages of art history from the Byzantine area and you don't give a shit about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I just want to draw. Yeah, yeah. It was a struggle. And then there's also the, uh, I think we talked about this the other day, being a big fish in a small pond, getting tons of attention in my tiny town for Mm -hmm. being, having, you know, artistic talent, and then going to Brooklyn, New York and realizing that
0: That I need to get in
2: line. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So. So that was that was actually that was that was really really challenging and then um you do your best and then you know you don't have money so you're you're painting on cardboard and your professors are giving you shit mm-hmm. and um overall i mean obviously it was a great experience and and i learned a lot and made a lot of friends but um i can't tell you specifically what I learned at Pratt that made me like a better artist. I think it was just grinding it out and right. becoming a grown up.
1: Yeah, a lot of it is is just repetition.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And,
1: and the discipline that comes from repetition. Yeah. But the I think the one thing that I've I've noticed um, in running a gallery where we have people that. We get submissions from everybody. So we, we have a lot of people that have no art education and are complete um, self taught.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: um, we've got people that are, are art school graduates. And I just, I always notice a, an easier comfort with composition
0: mm-hmm. comes
1: with art school. That it doesn't necessarily get drilled into you, but everything you see and everything you're exposed to has. Not necessarily the same look, but it has an aesthetic that leads you to see the world in a way where you compose things that relate to classic pieces, and then, therefore you have a classic composition.
2: Yeah, you know, I never, I never thought about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that, but it, yeah, a hundred percent. And only now I'm starting to connect the dots, yeah. and and I realize that oh yeah, I did that thing because it was directly influenced from the time I was studying whatever.
1: Right, know. right.
2: Um. <clears throat> I, I wish I had paid attention more. I do.
1: <laughs> I think that's every student. Yeah. I, it doesn't matter where you go to school. It doesn't matter what you study. That it's at a certain point you hit that um, that maximum capacity to learn new things, and you hit that that point where you can't dedicate more time because you need to sleep. Yeah. Or you had to work while you went to school, and you've got a job, and. You would have liked to have taken the semester off, but you knew that tuition was going to go up if you took a a term off. And I've always encouraged kids if they have the chance to take off terms in between, because then you get to put to actual practice what you learned, but it's not always an option for everybody.
2: No. And in fact, uh, Pratt didn't have housing my second year, so I had to have my own apartment, which meant I had to have my own job. Yeah. And um, yeah, I didn't have anyone to call when the lights went out. They just... And went out. Yeah, yeah. we had we had a neighbor upstairs. This this guy named Jimmy. He was so sweet. He lived there. With his mother, she, it's a little Norman Bates, but whatever, <laughs> and he would bring us these bricks of polenta that he made it was in the wintertime, and they were terrible. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, jimmy he's he's dead, uh, but they were nourishment,
0: but we would
2: we would take them out of the freezer and put them on the heater so that we were so broke that when we came home, they would be this like lukewarm pile of like Semi polenta cornmeal weirdness, and we'd just be like, "Oh, this is great." I'm
1: wincing, but I actually, I took with me when I drove cross country with um with uh, one of my best friends from kindergarten when we both moved out here um shortly after high school and after a little bit of college, and we took um top ramen noodles. Yeah, you did. And we did not put them in water. We just spread peanut butter on them
2: and Ooh. ate them raw. How is that horrible? <laughs>
1: Um, I, I'd, I'd, actually encourage you to eat styrofoam before I would encourage you to eat, um, raw top ramen noodles. But, um, yeah, I mean, and then when we got out here, I remember there'd be like advertisements on television for like three cheeseburgers for a quarter or something for McDonald's. And we would go and buy like 12 cheeseburgers and stick them in the refrigerator. Yeah just awful but I mean it's it's what you do you know like mm-hmm. like you say it not everybody has a resource to fall back on mm-hmm. not everybody even I mean even people who do have parents to call don't don't necessarily have the, the ability to do that yeah and so that becomes I think uh it has to I would imagine being in New York and another thing is like a little bit of a segue a lot of people have always seen Los Angeles as like that city to come to Mm -hmm. You know, it's like regardless of where you come from, you go to Chicago. If you're from um, Indianapolis, you know, if if you're from if you're from north of Boston, maybe go to Boston, but maybe go to New York. Mm -hmm. And so New York being, you know, one of the largest cities in the world, it's easy to move there and just get lost. Mm -hmm. And so navigating that and finding who you are in a city like that, coming from a much smaller city. Mm -hmm. um, There's a story in that, too, I'm sure
2: it was. I don't know how I survived. I don't know why I was never mugged. Mm-hmm. I can only assume that I lived um, on a street where I was surrounded by people who were doing the mugging. And, it, was <laughs> it was
1: Doc Martens.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I I mean, I guess it was part lucky. But, you know, you moved to New York City. I was a virgin at the time. Mm-hmm. Of course I'm not going to get any schoolwork done. Yeah. Like I can buy beer at right. any time of the day or night. For like a dollar
1: fifty, you mm-hmm. know. I I was getting carted until I was about forty, so uh, that was never. A oh, lot I didn't. For me.
2: You you. Sh- I should have shown you some places in Brooklyn. You'd be fine. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> there was a there was a movie store where you could buy weed in the porn section, mm-hmm. and like some kind of wacky cartoon. One of the boxes would move to the side, and a hand would come out of the wall. Oh my god! Yeah,
1: I I love these stories. Yeah, it's like the um ring the bell and the bucket drops yeah 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 so, um, so you make it through Pratt, mm-hmm. and did you when did you discover music
2: completely on accident um i I actually took drum lessons briefly mm-hmm. um, and I love playing drums, I absolutely love it mm-hmm. i I'm, I'm not particularly good at it though, <laughs> um, but my roommate started taking drum lessons, and we had a kit in our apartment mm hmm and instantly, she was the girl with the the mohawk and the the giant Doc, Doc Martens. Nice. Like, yeah, she became my roommate later on. It was, it was super weird, um, and I love her. And uh, so she was at CBGB's one night. She was a regular there, and there was a uh, the door guy. His name was Asshole Dave, <laughs> who we both loved. He's really funny. Um, and Mindless was having their last show with their original bass player, Vanessa. Mm-hmm. And the manager went up to him and asked him if he knew any female bass players. And Melissa had been going around town saying, yeah, me and my roommate Lindsay were starting a band. She plays bass, blah, blah, blah. So he was like, yeah, I know this girl who plays bass, and she seemed perfect for what you guys want to do. Wow. So he gave him my phone number, Mm -hmm. and he called me up out of the blue, and I had never heard of them at that point. Mm -hmm. And um, I had an art show in a squat – and I was super excited and I thought I was a really big deal. And so, this
1: was the manager or was this Jimmy?
2: This was the manager. Right on. Yeah. Uh, and he was like, hey, I'm the manager for Mindless Self Indulgence. I hear you play bass. And immediately I got the heebie jeebies. Like, there's like, I've seen so many after school specials where. <laughs> I felt like he was going to invite me over and have me perform for him, topless. And- <laughs> right,
1: right. So He's like Irene Cara scene in Fame meets yeah. Dawn, portrait of a teenage alcoholic. Yeah, it
2: was something. too weird. I Like, how the hell did you get my phone? Like, what, what's going on? And by the way, I didn't even play bass at the time. Right, I lied. Right. So um, he showed up at my art show. Mm-hmm. I got off the phone. And I was like, listen, this sounds cool and everything, but I'm going to my art show. And I told him where it was mm-hmm. and he showed up. And at the time, I was doing these, like, really dark illustrations. I think one was called Grandma's Dead, and it was, like, my grandma – I'm sorry, grandma – dead on the ground with, yeah. like, candy spilling out of her purse and
1: <laughs> – Was it that diabetic candy that all grandmothers I don't
2: carrying? know. And like, one was called a hot dog, and it was, like, this little boy eating a hot dog suggestively while a dog was, like, in between – it. like, it was, it was weird and <laughs> gross. <laughs> Whatever. I thought it was funny. So he was like, "Look, you're doing this dark weird art. You mm-hmm. probably like this dark weird band." Mm-hmm. And he gave me the CD, and I knew right away that, you know, it was Jamie Hewlett on the cover. Oh, yeah. And so I was uh, this band is probably awesome. They have Jamie Hewlett, you know, cuz I love Tank Girl. I,
1: I have a Tank Girl tattoo. Oh. And yeah. <laughs> and it's I never realized that Jamie had done any of the mindless self indulgence yeah. stuff. And he had been doing um for a friend of mine's band in England, um, is it Mega City Four, he had been doing their um illustrations in the early nineties and I didn't realize he had done anything else until he was doing the Gorillas. Yeah. And it's funny because I've 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 been listening to Mindless Self Indulgence for years. And it's funny because again, like you talked about knowing some earlier before, before we started recording. we started talking about knowing somebody from a certain um, context yeah, and then being like, Oh, you're the person who does this thing that I yeah. like. And um, like, I, I think I'd known Jimmy for a couple of years before I realized that that was his band. And the same thing as like um, Chantal and Morningwood. And, mm-hmm. and I was just like,
2: isn't that Oh the, my God. Isn't like I, lo- I love that
1: band. That's amazing. Yeah. Isn't
2: it the best when you realize, Holy shit. There, it's like two entirely different entities. Like, yeah. The person on stage and the person in real life, totally different. Oh my God, Jimmy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: J- Jimmy Urine for the uninitiated, mm-hmm. um, the front man of Mindless Self Indulgence. We're, we're
2: pulling the curtain back on Oz yeah, right now. Yeah,
1: we're going to reveal <laughs> We're going to reveal it. Um, and also, um, you guys did a comic together recently. hmm. And um, completely, completely different. Like, i it, it's mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the different. Um, different aspects of showmanship and and personality. Both awesome. Both yeah. awesome. That's all I'll say.
2: Yeah, he's he's a really sweet, mm-hmm. sweet man. <laughs> a very he's one of my best friends. I can I can say that. Um it's
1: like a punk rock Pete Wolf Peter Wolf.
2: Yeah. You would yeah, people are afraid of him if they just know him from the band <laughs> and then they meet him and they're confused. It's great. Yeah, that's amazing.
1: <laughs> so you wind up um getting this gig
2: well, I auditioned, mm-hmm. and so um, this was actually the best life lesson of, uh, to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, Like I said, I lied about being able to play. Mm-hmm. He said, okay, you're going to audition. Here are three songs that you need to play. Didn't even know how to read tablature. Mm-hmm. Quickly called a friend who came over, tabbed out the songs for me, and I dropped everything, my social life, mm-hmm. everything, to do nothing but play these three fucking songs over and over. I would take my bass to work with me. Mm-hmm. I would practice during my lunch break. Mm-hmm. I barely slept. And I had never in my life worked that hard. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I've ever talked about that before because it sounds like so, you know, oh, I lied and then I just did this and then I got in the band. But I worked my ass off to yeah. to learn those, to learn that thing. And and it was so re- it was the first time I was like, "Oh my god, if you work your ass off, <laughs> it, pays, it off. pays off." It pays off.
1: There's there's a um uh, there's a second lesson here though too. I mean, there's the um that you can't be afraid to gate crash. You know, like you, you got to sometimes you have to present some, yeah. you, you know, you, you've got to put up a front sometimes to get where you need to get. Yeah. Um, being I, a quick study is very beneficial.
2: That's, I mean, that's one of my superpowers too, and I am not afraid afraid to lie to get a job.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but see, that's a survival skill you learn when you're a poor kid. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, it, it's absolutely true. You know, mm-hmm. necessity is the mother of invention. Mm-hmm. That um, I think part of the reason why there's at least the perception mm-hmm. that um most good art is is created by desperate people mm-hmm. is because i think it takes a level of desperation sometimes for people to motivate themselves into the space that they need to get into
2: mm-hmm. and yeah it's n- it's not it's not easy no i'm wearing my pajamas currently and i have been all day <laughs> <Yeah. sighs> sometimes you just have to let shit go if you need to work <laughs> yep yep
1: you got to dedicate the time to getting the stuff in for yeah. the deadline so, now
2: well, the the craziest thing, too, about the, the Mindless um, audition was mm-hmm. that since I knew I was not going to get this job on on my amazing musicianship al- alone, mm-hmm. and I had the sense from what I had heard from their manager that they were like a performance-based band, mm-hmm. that I needed to do something mm-hmm. to impress them. So um, I was so nervous, and we, we went into this tiny room, low ceilings, and um, – we go through the first three songs and I was, I was okay. Mm-hmm. And then, um, the second round through there's, uh, one of our songs is called tornado and there's a part in it that drops out for five seconds. Mm-hmm. And I had rigged up my pigtails. I stuck matches in them and I had a, um, film canister of Bacardi 151 in my bra <laughs> and a strike pad glued to the, the back of my bass. And so I, Took it out of my bra, took a swig, pulled it out of my hair, and for some reason the planets were fucking aligned just right so that every part of this worked, <laughs> and I blew fire all over the room. Almost said Jimmy on fire. Mm-hmm. Everyone stopped playing, and that that was that.
1: <laughs> Gene Simmons, eat your heart out. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> That's kind and of then, amazing. but
2: yeah, and then I had to learn sixty songs in three months. Wow. So we could open for System of a Down. It was fucked up.
1: Wow. 60 songs.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And how long did you have to to study that? Two months. That's a hell of a lot. Of, I mean, let's Three do months, the math there. You know, that's like.
2: I'm telling you. And having that, like, if you had the opportunity to be in a band that was, I had never even been on a plane before. Right. If you had the opportunity to be in a band that was opening for, you know, um, another major band, mm-hmm. go on tour, live in a tour bus. Mm-hmm. Would you do? I feel like I'm Eminem right now. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Would you do everything?
1: <laughs> I'm here the Eight Mile theme. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm gonna take a break really quickly right here um, to hear from our sponsors, and uh, we'll be right back. And I'm um, gonna insert a, a little quick quick ad here for um, for people because I've been getting questions about this that um, you too advertisers can reach this quality demographic by giving us a call. <laughs> So we'll be right back with Lindsay Wei and and Podsequentialism in just a moment.
0: Melt you the school at Meltdown where they teach you the skills to make comic books. Some of the current classes include creating comics, drawing comics for kids, and the art of inking. Coming soon, there will be classes for short film writing, drawing basics, and kids make zines. Go to meltcomics.com. And enroll now.
1: Welcome back to Pod Sequentialism with Matt Kennedy. I'm here today on location, uh, interviewing the the wonderful and talented Lindsay Way, and uh, we we're just talking about um, how she kind of navigated from from growing up in Connecticut and going to New York and going to art school and then winding up in a band and getting to the point where she's touring, you know, kind of right off the bat. Uh, learning you know 60 new songs and opening for for system of a down and i think that there's enough out there in the in the ether about um, mindless self-indulgence and i don't want to segue too far off in that and it's it's an incredible band and it's really an art band an art pop band definitely um i think that the closest um Comparison that you would have to to a band—it's almost like a punk rock, Talking Heads, and that there's a, a whole you. different you know level of concept behind the performance aspect. That doesn't necessarily mean you release concept albums. But um, what I really want to talk about now is doing two things because a lot of what we talk about on Pod Sequentialism is establishing you know that that DIY aesthetic of going out and just doing what you need to do and with with you and because you've got a, a music track and you've got a fine art track that it's very easy to take something that's that's happening is very successful and then abandoning the other thing mm-hmm. takes a back seat and so when you return to something you either see it with new eyes because you've got more world experience or um or you you're able to use that that other thing as a great, um, diversion from the thing that you, that pays the bills. So you've got, um, you know, sometimes I know painters that will sculpt because they, they feel like they have to walk away from painting or they're going to start to hate it. And so they'll, they'll do some sculpting and then like, okay, now I can paint again. And I was wondering how you balance, like what is the balance that works for you in, in between music and in fine art and the different, modes of fine art that you can do
2: it's it's difficult because um when i'm playing music it's all about memorizing patterns mm-hmm. it's very math oriented mm-hmm. and then obviously art is more free and mm-hmm. and personal and things like that because uh, it's 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 hard flipping back and forth especially yeah. when i go from tour to having an art show um, and that hasn't happened in a while, thank God. So, um, I've I've been able to focus on art for a long time, but mm-hmm. I didn't have time off from touring until I got pregnant and had Bandit. Mm-hmm. And I had this moment where I realized, I, I if if I don't do something with my art career now, it's it's never going to happen, mm-hmm. and I can't be. A six-year-old woman in a band playing songs called pussy all night with a with a fucking daughter like yeah. <laughs> and and art's my first love you mm-hmm. know so why not just all that uh determination you know and discipline that i poured into learning how to play bass mm-hmm. it's time for me to get my art career off the ground right. and fortunately i had met jessica and we had so much in common. She was in, you know, she's in a cult band.
1: Talk about Jessica Adams, oh, right. who is the, um, the front woman for Jack Off Jill and Scarling and also has a fine art track, mutual yeah. friend.
2: Yeah. So, and we were both, you know, we both had been musicians our whole lives, but art was always our first love and mm-hmm. it was time for us to get that going. So she she and I got a studio together and there was just so much pressure to pr- you know to to prove to the world that i had ability to because mm-hmm. you know my my husband's in my chemical romance so um yeah there was just a lot of pressure for me to make my own way right in a way the that unintended. was intended uh, jesus <laughs> christ i didn't even realize i said that <laughs> yeah
1: but um and definitely you know with um and bandit your your daughter's adorable girl and two parents, both very creative, both musicians, Mm -hmm. both artists, both people who went to art school, um, both known from multiple disciplines. And, you know, what was it that um, Dweezil Zappa said? He's like, you know, I think the biggest fear my parents had was I was going to become an accountant.
2: Oh, my God. That's my biggest dream. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously.
1: So the, you know, because you've got, you know, well, two things, you know, as an artist, uh, one thing that a lot of artists don't have is another artist in the room. Mm-hmm. You know, that there are a lot of artists that work in seclusion. By having a friend like Jessica who you can share a studio with, you've automatically got another artist in the room and someone with a very different perspective. Mm-hmm. But, um, and very, a really
2: different personality.
1: Very different personality, very different type of artwork, and mm-hmm. yet a very similar art language mm-hmm. so that you guys can communicate really well. And And then at home, you've got somebody who's also another artist who if you, you, if you want a second um, point of view, you can get that probably. And then I imagine that it's probably a case of, of with two people who are busy and doing similar, but different things that those Venn diagrams don't cross as often as I think, as people might think.
2: Mm -hmm. No, but that's, what's so great about it because um, I get inspired by all of my friends in different ways that, and, and it, it always adds to what I'm doing. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, the painting I'm doing for Shitty Teen that I'm looking at right now. And that's the
1: title of next month's show.
2: Shitty Teen. The great next- thing about this
1: since it's, <laughs> it's funny because we – this will be the first – well, this will be the first show that we know going in that we're going to get a mature a mature audience's tag on. But I knew that because the name of the show is Shitty Teen. I knew we were going to talk about that. I knew we'd get flagged on iTunes. Would um, you really? We do. Oh, my gosh. We got flagged on a show – without a single curse word in it because we talked about gay superheroes. What? And I fought it. I fought it Good hard. You. you know, I contacted iTunes and I was like, this is ridiculous. How What's come we're getting you know Am I not
2: supposed to be swearing?
1: No, it's fine, because okay. I knew we were gonna get flagged. So oh, you okay. <laughs> so, know yeah. you might not hear me swear, but um well, now
2: that I'm a mama, I can I can handle myself if I need to <laughs>
1: No, no, it's totally fine. The, Although uh, she
2: dropped a swear the other day and ah. I knew it was for me. Yeah. It Maybe was so complain. casual, she didn't even know what she was doing. Right. We were we were playing a game and she needed the color green mm-hmm. and she found it and she goes, Green motherfucker. And that- <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> and I I had to do everything not to laugh because if I drew attention to it, she would know that she just hit like a yeah. gem. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no that has gotta be a challenge. Yeah. But I remember too when um you gave me one of the shirts for the show and it's the um you know that the double feature font, you know, the, mm-hmm. the Rocky Horror font and shitty teen. And um and Band Bandit was like What's that say? What did you say? You said it was like, oh, that says pretty teen, pretty teen, <laughs> pretty
2: teen, and she, which and- actually is way more creepy, <laughs> right? Right? I don't. We're like, we're like older, older <laughs> people wearing pretty teen. Gross.
1: <laughs> I hadn't even thought about that. That's that's like so. That's like Richard Phillips. Yeah. But the um, you know, the great thing is like immediately was um, like, she's like, I can't read yet. <laughs> and I was like, "That's so adorable!" And thank
2: God. I know. I was, I
1: was. Oh yeah, yeah. That would be a bad thing, right? Mm-hmm. But the um, I mean, that's also got to be informative too. I mean, you you now have a daughter, yeah. And um, how old's Bennett? Six. So she's six years old. I mean, and she is a a human being. I mean, like, oh yeah. I'm a, I'm a guy. You know, my my wife and I don't have don't have children, but um, I always feel like you know that my friends that have kids is a, at a certain point infants become toddlers and then the toddlers become human beings like real personalities like people that you you know they're in the room Mm -hmm. they say something it means something yeah and it's not just that you have to pay attention but that it's like i wonder what that little human being is gonna say like you get really curious Mm -hmm. and and she's adorable and she's great but she's like she's definitely got like a real personality She's a very likable kid um but that's gonna in a way and especially with this new body work um where it's it's such personal work, and I'll let you talk about it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna blow the payoff. Um, that you have to kind of think about things in the terms of like, oh wow, like how you know what's my my past and what I bring to growing up, and what my child is going to experience are going to be different, mm-hmm. and that's a whole different mindset. And i I've, I've never had a guest on the show. Have I ever had a guest on the show that even has kids? Yes, I have I have um Ave Rose but um talk about that a little bit like how did how does that change the whole game?
2: you know honestly it doesn't if if I thought about um what's gonna happen when she goes on the internet i, <laughs> I would blow my brains out right now I mean there's only so much i right. can i can I hope that um we will guide her. Mm-hmm. And love her, and she's gonna she's gonna have certain tools to navigate um, the hellhole that mm-hmm. is the internet, and yeah. and I'm hoping she'll be able to take everything with a grain of a grain of salt, probably right. better than I ever have right been able to, you know. So, and it's at some point, it's the truth. Some like <laughs> what what I'm doing, if what I'm putting out there. Mm-hmm that's the truth and and maybe it's not pretty, but you know, it's just one.
1: Tell everybody what it is.
2: Um, I saved every high school note that I had ever had. And I'm still friends with, um, a bunch of my friends from high school, which is kind of crazy. And they had somehow kept my notes too. And they sent them back to me. And so I've been going through them. I have boxes and I'm taking the notes and I'm painting over them. But, um, it's been really interesting because some of them are really sad and some of them are really funny, and mm. I hadn't, I hadn't, I had felt so disconnected to who I was back then because mm. I've changed so. Much, I mean, everyone changes, right? I, mean, I hope, you yeah. Know? Um, that it actually kind of made me fall in love with with teenagers again yeah. because I I feel uh, connected again. Well, we I, I we talked about
1: this. We talked about yeah. how. Um, you know, I'm, I'll am i be 45 this year. And I hit that point, I think, a couple years ago mm-hmm. where I realized that I was now old, older at least. Yeah. That teenagers scared the living crap out of me. Yeah. That they're they're all bigger than I am because I'm only, you know, like five foot five or something on a good day. Yeah. And that these kids are younger and they've got... Because when you're young, you, you don't realize what you have to lose. So the... The likelihood of kids doing something, as I did when I was a kid, something mean or something careless That's or something stupid or something violent.
2: Yeah, I was, I was a shitty teen. <laughs> I was a fucking shitty, shitty teen. So, you know, in, in playing in a band too, where your audience is teenagers, right? right? So, and the kids that typically like MSI are, are more like, I guess. I say this with so much love because um like kind of outcasts yeah. their school and we give them a nice place to fit in and um and because of who I'm married to, there's people like to uh I don't know, like to throw shit at me sometimes. <laughs> 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 and that's okay. Um I'm <laughs> Like, I, I'm absolutely fine with that at this point. But, um, yeah, they can be fucking scary and unpredictable. And then there's the sadness. You know, I just want to hug them all. Yeah. It's just so much sadness that i would never really – Now, reading my notes, mm-hmm. it's just I get it more personally now because –
1: you want to hug yourself I from that did, era.
2: And I was not a fan of teenage me. And yeah. now I'm like, oh, yeah, you had. a Yeah. And I did. I had a really I had a really tough childhood. I didn't have, you know, a dad, you yeah. know, my mom was in mental hospitals my whole life mm-hmm. and I was on my own. And and it's crazy when you have all these like legitimate things that you're trying to deal with mm-hmm. and you read your notes knowing in my brain that this was going on. And I'm talking about, I'm fat. How do you make yourself puke? And meanwhile, my mom's in the hospital. It's yeah. crazy yeah. because you can't deal with the the bigger things. You're just sad.
1: Right, right. You know? And, you know, talking about issues like that and, you know, bulimia and dealing with um, care of of an adult as a, as a child. If, if, when you are the child, and, but you're really the adult – And when, you know, all these things that I think affect a lot of people who find themselves in an an artistic life.
2: Absolutely. That
1: they, there are building blocks of distress on the road to making anything beautiful. And Mm -hmm. sometimes making something beautiful means you're making something ugly that's beautiful to other people.
2: Yeah. I mean, I I drew, I I did a lot of sad teenage girl art for -hmm. for years. A lot of like, I mean, I was working it out. And now I Thankfully, I don't feel the need to do it yeah. as much. But I needed some. I needed something, and, it, and art was always there for me. So yeah. it was good.
1: I'll show you some of the stuff that I've I've been able to keep over the years. Yeah, and it's funny because it's you know we're both New Englanders mm-hmm. for sure. But um, you know the the different generations and different times, but it's there's a unity there. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, you, there's a reason why we we end up finding the people that we find.
0: In oh life yeah. to hang out with
1: and become friends with. And a lot of it comes down to have we all, like all the people that we know and hang out with, there's there's a certain archetype that's in all of us that has just grown into a different type of tree, a different type of bush. Mm-hmm. And um that, that that creativity or that respect for creativity and then like taste, like where where our tastes take us. Um you know, we talked about and, and I mean it's I don't think it's possible to not talk about David Bowie right now, but um, you know that you talk about it's like every guy you know is crying because David Bowie's dead, and it's, I'm one of them, you know, and, and it's and it's like why 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 is it this this guy that that was you know a a really effeminate male has affected like all these kind of masculine guys,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it's because you know he's the guy that said it was okay, yeah, you know, and he was there for everybody. I mean, not just. He was there for everybody literally everybody if there was a wall that you needed to break he broke through it and I think you know incredibly talented guy who's left behind in an amazing body of work and I think we all hope that we have some kind of legacy and no one can touch the legacy that he's left behind but um, you know that taste is, is valid you know it's it's that the line from the um, from the the book by by um, Oh my gosh, now I'm going to I'm going to completely blank out here. But um high infidelity. It's like the, these things have currency, you know. Yeah. Your top 5 records, your top 10 movies, mm-hmm. um the comics you read. It's like the things that you collect mean something. It and, does. And that that's what forges these these great friendships that people have. For
2: me have. though, it's uh, I I can smell a broken doll. Yeah. And all of my like oh you understand yeah. you know and it's it's so it's crazy too because when you're in it when you're a kid and a teenager and you're going through it you, you don't realize but man I gotta give it to Dan close because Ghost World I I, love I my relationships with my best friends was so intimate and it it was it's crazy to read actually like we want to be buried next to each yeah. other and we love each other and it's and it it's real and I still love you know my friends yeah
1: and, and the comic is is incredible and mm-hmm. i think it's also one of those those comics that got adapted by the right guy mm-hmm. you know that it, the perfect person to direct that movie directed that movie and it's it's still very different from the comic but that um it's a it captures that that first time where you realize that the friends you have now aren't going to be the friends you have for the rest of your yeah. life and necessarily. But
2: you could have like a, you know, a boyfriend or a girlfriend and not have that level of intimacy. Right. It's, it's nuts. Yeah. Um, and I was just, it, it, it was, it's a beautiful thing to watch, you know, everyone change. like even the handwriting changes mm-hmm. over time. Um, my spelling was always Sarah Momba, What yeah. you going to do, but
1: <laughs> I, I, I don't know who's paying attention to, uh, my credit card receipts at the bank but i'm amazed that any of them get paid because none of my signatures look alike from mm-hmm. like one to the next day to day never mind like over the course of 10 years i actually had to have i had to cut a cashier's check to someone mm-hmm. and the lead the bank looked at me and she's like can you sign that again like she she clearly knew it was me but she's like i can't pass that signature you're going to have to put a little work into this and i was like oh that's my lazy signature i'm sorry you know i'm like what did it look like when i filled out my bank account Twenty-five years. Yeah, ago.
2: I mean, you're Matt. You can kind of get away with murder with that one. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's kinda, just a lot of sharp lines yeah. up and
1: down, maybe a <laughs> line across the middle. uh Oh now I've told everybody how to uh, how to do my signature. But um, yeah, there's, there's a a whole lot of that type of angst, obviously, in this body work because it's from that era. Yeah. And I, when you were showing this to me, and it's it's very different from all the work of yours that I've seen before Mm. and I absolutely love it and it's it's very text-based art because it is it's letters Mm -hmm. and when you look at I mean you can go through the lineage whether it's um you know Robert Indiana and his love or um Ed Ruscha and taking key phrases and popping them up uh, as paintings through a certain font that I've always had respect for the hand Written font. I love handwritten fonts because I have terrible handwriting. Really? Yeah, it's awful.
2: But maybe I mean I would probably really like it (laughs) because
1: because it looks like a psychotic did it. It looks like a pharmacist. But um, I miss
2: that shit. I miss (laughs) I miss people writing letters and and yeah because that's all we used to do.
1: I used to have to write the same letter six or seven times Aww. because my handwriting is so bad and and now i i start to kind of freak out because i'm like am i getting arthritis you know it's like because my hand will tense up when i grab the pencil and i'm thinking did i learn to to write incorrectly like i always feel like my dad never taught me to shave so i don't know how to shave
2: Aww.
0: you
1: know and so i'm like I'm, I'm just like oh yeah i missed a spot it's because i don't know how to shave i was never really trained and so when i, I look at um my handwriting and, and if i I've started doing this thing now where if I want to write a handwritten letter, I actually type it out, and then I trace that page.
2: You are shitting me. Yeah,
1: so that people can read it because my writing is so bad. And cool. it, it's a kind of a neat trick. Like yeah, it's yeah. Then you have like an actual handwritten font.
2: Impressive. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Learned it from an assistant actually years ago.
2: Nice. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm going to take one more break here, and then um, we're going to pour back into... Um, this, this great interview with, with, with Lindsay Way and talk a little bit more about process and, um, and a little bit more about um, making sure that how do you make something in your head appear on paper or appear on a canvas. But uh, we'll be right back with uh, Sequentialism after these messages from our
0: sponsors. Do you like to binge read your comics? Are you having trouble tracking down all the back issues of your favorite comics? The answer is Comics Fix. Comics Fix is a monthly digital subscription service where you pay a monthly fee and read as much as your heart desires. Go to comicsfix.com and check it out. The first month is free.
1: Welcome back to Pod Sequentialism. I'm your host, Matt Kennedy. We are recording live on location with Lindsay Way. And um, we're going to dig right back into, I think, um, process and and then satisfaction. Like making something that you're really, really happy with or making something that you're not happy with. Um, and what do you think is for you your formula? Like walk uh, I me won't, through a day.
2: I won't stop until it, I'm happy with it.
1: Yeah, which I will good.
2: I cannot turn my back on a, a painting or whatever that I'm working on until I'm satisfied with it. It mm. will drive me insane yeah. up at night pacing and I will paint over shit. Mm-hmm. I will start over constantly. The, the painting over there that we're sitting in the dark, by the way, it's very romantic in here. Um, <laughs> I think I painted over that thing 12 times. Yeah. Yeah. In different sections and whatever. It just clicks. You just know when, when it's done. And, and it's not done, by the way, that
1: one. <laughs> but there's still that color value and mm-hmm. that composition that, that, yeah. that tells me that you went to Pratt. Yeah.
2: yeah. I kind of think composition is sort of an innate thing, though.
1: I, I think that there's some truth to that, but I also think that I think if you're flying blind, mm-hmm. you just don't know and it's something you can never pick up, but mm-hmm. um, that when you land on it and someone critiques you, mm-hmm. that you then absorb it. Yeah, Because I've seen self-taught painters who they paint one amazing piece and then they submit three other pieces. I'm like, what happened? I'm like, oh, yeah. They haven't had a critique. They haven't had somebody say, you know, this this should be this and this should be this. A hundred thousand times mm-hmm. to the point that they kind of know what they have to do to get the grade. And then that means that you've been taught good composition.
2: It, I mean, it's good, too, because if you've been kicked in the nuts enough, you just yeah. start feeling the pain (laughs) (laughs) you're just like fuck it i'm just gonna do what i want and (laughs) and you get better
1: (laughs) yeah that's our school yep so the um so what's your process like when um when you're working on a show
2: it's you know it's it's crazy it's whatever i'm i'm sort of feeling at the time when Mm -hmm. um i came up with hush the the diorama show Mm -hmm. um i was trying to bury very mindless in a sense like mm-hmm. i i i was trying to uh closure to that part of my life and start you know being an artist and mm-hmm. so i made a funeral and uh yeah i said a, a really lovely one that it wasn't sad it, mm-hmm. it was joyful just so i could I, I had to in my brain you know start fresh mm-hmm. because being tethered to both worlds is so exhausting yeah Um, Was that the
1: Mary Karnowski show or was that the um, Dark, Dark Science?
2: Dark, Dark Science.
1: So this is really funny. So um, I think we had maybe met once before that show. I
2: remember meeting you at Dark, Dark Science.
1: Right. But I think you had purchased a Fiddle Tim piece.
2: I did. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so. Oh, yeah. um, I totally remember you. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: um, I think with Gerard's sister.
2: No, he has no sister. Oh. Brother. Uh, Sister-in-law.
1: Sister-in-law. Okay. Yes. Yes. So um, yeah, she bought a piece too, I think. And Billy and I got to the Dark, Dark Science show before it opened.
2: I remember that.
1: And we rehung two pieces that had fallen off the wall. Oh,
2: Jesus Christ, what a nightmare. <laughs> well, one of the greatest things about that show mm-hmm. was Jess, Jess and I did it ourselves. Yeah. Our studio was in that building. Yeah. That space was nothing. We We painted walls. We had a lighting guy come in yeah. and light it. Um, yeah, and it was a great show, it was
1: amazing, and it was a great turnout. Yeah, but the um, I had never seen your work in person before that, and I, it was mind blowing.
2: It, I each piece took about a month, mm-hmm. and I was determined to make something that I was proud of and that would cause the viewer to linger mm-hmm. because I find so often that when I go to shows, um. You just like, oh yeah, that's great, and then you move on, unless mm-hmm. there's something about it that you really like, mm-hmm. and you'll poke around and see. But um, I wanted to tell a story. I felt like I had so much to prove, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I was really happy with it. These were
1: like, for people who don't know that, like giant terrariums in a way mm-hmm. that hand cut hand cut paper. paper and. The size on them was, was magnificent, but the way that they were encased, like these semi-round.
2: Do you know why I did that? No. They were the shape of um, Trivia Pursuit pie pieces. Oh, my God, and yeah. And my fantasy was that I could show them in the round.
1: Right. Yeah. Wow, that is that is high concept. Yeah. And these, these were magnificent, and, um, and then you, you were able to follow up that show with a the, show the flu yeah
2: yeah which was which was great too but um i i had 2 months to do that show she wow. she had booked someone who passed
1: wow oh yeah <laughs> <laughs>
2: and um who who flaked and so i uh I Again, I was like, I'm going to do it. And um, I bust my ass and and I was happy with that show too. Yeah, that was incredible. And then uh, we moved and I had a studio space in my house and I just really missed painting. Yeah. I missed getting my hands dirty. Um, So I refell in love with painting and I decided that I wanted to be a master. I was like, okay, it takes, how long does it take? 50,000 hours to become a master?
1: (sighs) Something like the equivalent of five hundred
2: thousand hours, fifty thousand.
1: Is it twelve years of constant study? I, uh, they
2: broke it. There's a there's an out. It's there's a formula. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, want to. I'm I'm okay, but I want to be a, a fucking master. Yeah. So, um, I just started painting, and um, there's something really meditative about. Getting super OCD about making the the straightest, cleanest line with mm-hmm. with paint and things like that. So that's where I was sort of at when I did cotton candy machine and yeah. lots of geometric shit happening in there.
1: And there's the amazing piece that's behind my engineer. Oh, that Ray was Mason.
2: Yeah, that one hasn't been shown yet. Matt. I know. Perhaps I know. we should talk about that. I know, right? Mm-hmm. And I love the, that piece. The piece in the the living room is actually my favorite. Yeah. Um, I'm dying to show those. But anyway,
1: I'd be happy to. Okay, I'd be happy to.
2: So, um, so then this show came up, and I wanted to be free and do something quick and dirty. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, for the first time, it was okay for me to uh, combine like the feeling of like my band and MSI. Mm-hmm. Like that was another thing too. I'm like, I'm in this, I'm in this like crazy band where I, I'm known for this thing, and then I have these paintings that are thoughtful and clean and mm-hmm. you know and meanwhile on stage i'm like breaking beer bottles in my face yeah. oh, not really but whatever. there's
1: definitely a lot more helter skelter to this yeah
2: yeah and it was important for me to separate the two worlds mm-hmm. but now i'm like fuck it and yeah. <laughs> i am those two people let's let's party yeah so um and i just found all these notes and it it, it made me really inspired and and there's there's a story yeah. I'm, I'm getting older now i i'm a really private person, but I feel like I should be able to talk about Mm -hmm. things that aren't so, you know, that are personal, Yeah, you know? Well,
1: that's the currency. You know, it's the currency at at, at four o'clock in the morning is, is, you know, what you you share with people. Mm -hmm. And I think also that, you know, you, you touched a little bit on having teenage fans and stuff, but I think that this show speaks so deeply to that endless nostalgia for being a teen, but it also speaks to teens. It's really difficult to do that, to have something that is for an audience that doesn't lose relevance when -hmm. you get beyond a certain age. And yet these pieces, because they are pieces of your personal past are artifacts for fan, for fan base. Mm-hmm. They're artifacts for collectors, but there's a relevance that elevates them from just being these artifacts from a person's life into being a statement about everybody's experience.
2: Well, yeah, I think it's it. I think it's a good thing to see too, because you know when you're a kid growing up in in you don't see how David Bowie became David Bowie. Don't see when David Bowie was a shitty teen covered in acne, treating people like shit. You know what I mean? And so when you're stuck in this world as a kid, you don't think you're ever going to evolve and change. You think that, you know, you are going to be that person for the rest of your life. And Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but I was not a fan of myself when I was a teenager.
1: You know, I I can identify with that.
2: So seeing that it's possible to evolve um, into whatever you want to be, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really interesting. And in, and in, I don't know, it, w- it would have made me feel good. Yeah. To know, like, if someone broke down that wall and be like, listen, when I was a teenager, I really wished I was bulimic and I liked to shoplift mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. <laughs> I really hated myself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, you think back, and some of the most intense feelings that I've had in my life, I had when I was seventeen, sixteen, fifteen, mm. and like breaking up or getting dumped. <laughs> you know, by by that first girlfriend was like it's the worst, destroying. Like, yeah. how will I live? How will I eat? You know, I can't go to school. I, I don't want to know my parents. And um, and it passes. And I think that this show is really a testament of how people get through stuff. But that it's really, at the end of the day, most things are going to be okay. Yeah. That um, there's always a point in your life where you feel like you, you can't get past something. It's insurmountable. And it can be something that other people think is small that's huge to you. And it can be something that is actually kind of small that you blow out of proportion. And it can be something really major. But that eventually, a lot of things have a way of a tendency of sorting themselves out. And that comes with experience. And it comes with finding... Finding dignity,
2: mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and as actually, a kid, you don't
1: know what that is.
2: No. And actually, um, there's a certain amount of skills you learn when you are in a terrible situation yeah. as a kid. When you have a super dysfunctional family, yeah. um, you learn grit, you learn survival. Yeah. You When you have nothing to lose, mm-hmm. you'll do anything and you aren't afraid to take a risk. And these are all really beautiful things. And I thank God for them. I I I don't know if I had like a normal life growing up. Yeah, I, I don't know what I would be doing right now. Right, you know, it was because of that where I was willing to lie about playing bass, mm-hmm. um, and and getting into a band because I was like, what's the worst thing that could happen?
0: Yeah,
2: I I, I mean not the worst thing I've seen, yeah, you know? Yeah. And then it's like when me and Jessica did our show mm-hmm. we're like, well, fuck it, we'll do it ourselves because no one's ever done anything for us. So yeah. of course, so Make it can happen. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: there, there's that balance. That's like, sometimes you're the knight, sometimes you're the jester. You, you have to fall into different archetypes when you're in impossible situations. Mm-hmm. So the, um, you, there's a, a tremendous amount of aspirational, um, positivity, that comes out of what was at the time for you, obviously not positive, right? Um, you know, it, it was you know a product of. I mean, as most kids, most kids have that, that a sense of self loathing, but it it becomes off as a lot more a lot more pronounced. And that because you had an ability already
0: mm-hmm.
1: at that point, that the little illustrations that sometimes accompany some of the text in <clears throat> the notes is just it's perfect. Like I look at it, and I'm like, oh my god, that's like. I didn't I didn't write that and I didn't draw that but that's what I saw in my head mm-hmm. you know when I was that age like this is exactly seeing these things manifest in real life um and seeing you know that there are other people that have gone through the same emotional range and that's most people yeah um that it's it's important and it's it's got to be fulfilling and and it's, you know, the show's a few weeks away now. Um, by the time this airs, um, I think it'll be right on the cusp. Bit or the show will have just opened. Ooh, exciting! Yeah. <laughs> so it'll be a little bit of a, there's a meta tag to all of this mm-hmm. that um, it'll be interesting to to see you see other people receive that.
2: I'm I'm a little bit I'm, I'm it, a little apprehensive. Well, it freaks me out a <laughs> yeah, little bit because yeah. um, it's pretty vulnerable. But yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm proud because I, more so than ever I realize how far I've come and mm-hmm. and that feels feels really good,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and you know, back to bandit, like she's gonna read all these horrible things about me doing drugs and yeah. sex and whatever yeah um but it's not about it's about learning from mistakes it's not.
1: But I got to say that I think it's going to go a little bit like this, <laughs> that um, at a certain point, I think it was around the time that my dad got sick and right before he died. And he died in 2001. And the I started finding out all these things about my parents that I didn't know, but they were kind of wonderful. It was like, I found out my parents lived in Paris for two years.
2: How did you not know that?
1: They never talked about it.
2: Why? I would be talking to you about that back when I lived in Paris. None,
1: none of the kids in my family knew it. Like it just wasn't something that was brought up. I found out from from an aunt, and I was like, "What?" And then this was an even bigger deal to me. This one, this little gem, not at all. Or or my dad would swear in in various European languages, but um, you know, this kind of uh, working class Irishman. But um, I also found out that this house that we that I grew up in in West on Western Ave in Lynn, Mass, um, which was directly across the street from the house that my dad grew up in, mm-hmm. um, that they used to run a water line into the basement and it would freeze and they would have ice skating parties where what? they strung lights in the basement.
2: So they did that and then they had kids and they didn't do that.
1: Yeah, and then they turned into the Wait. angriest Aussie and Harriet, oh, you know, no. in existence. And and it's sort of like i i i really honestly feel like in you know having having known you and having met bandit and having met gerard that it's going to be like a Oh yeah, because it, like that's not the picture. That's not who her mom is. Yeah, you know this 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 teenager isn't who her mom is. It's gonna be like, oh wow, yeah, I guess my mom used to be really wild and crazy, and that will be the end of it. It'll just be like kind of this like head scratcher, and then like on to the next thing.
2: Yeah, I yeah, I have no idea. Yeah.
1: Oh, what the future holds. I know. <laughs> well, I guess that's probably a good place for us to stop with this one, <laughs> and um. And I want to make sure that, um, you know, we get some information out there. Like if, if people are looking to find you online, there, there's obviously this, this um, probably mindless self-indulgence um, website.
2: There's my website, lindsayway.com and Twitter.
1: And that's the important one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, and our obviously she's got um, the show at La Luz de Zeus and um, la com. I'll spell it L-A-L-U-Z-D-E-J-E-S-U-S because sometimes people can't figure it out. And um, you've been listening to Pod Sequentialism. I want to thank you again for hosting us in your home.
2: Thank you for having me. This is nice. I, um, it's it's yeah, it's romantic. We got a candle going. <laughs>
1: we got a candle in the dark. Uh-huh. You know, it's just the light of the silvery moon.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, thank you very much, and um, everybody. We uh, hope you'll tune in again next week for another episode of Pod Sequentialism.
2: Yay! Thank you. Thanks.